Scripture does not say, but an ancient tradition holds, that the Lord Jesus was transfigured in glory 40 days before he died on the cross. And in the sacred liturgy, these two events are remembered twice each year with intervals of 40 days. On the second Sunday of Lent, the gospel is always one of the three accounts of the transfiguration. And 40 days later is Maundy Thursday, the evening on which Christ's passion began. Then August 6th is the Feast of the Transfiguration, while 40 days later, on September 14th, is the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. The first two of these commemorations are somber. They are in Lent and focused on the suffering the Lord Jesus had to undergo to accomplish our redemption. But the second celebrations in August and September are glorious and focused on the victory of Christ over sin and death and on the share in Christ's glory, which awaits all the saints at the throne of grace. So, on that high mountain 2,000 years ago, exactly what happened to the Lord Jesus in the company of Peter, James, and John, and why did it happen? To answer those questions, we must turn to the opening verses of the Gospel according to John, one of the three apostles who were present that day and saw the transfigured Messiah in the company of Moses and Elijah. Echoing the book of Genesis, John's Gospel begins with an account of the creation of the universe, and he writes that, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing came to be. In him was life, and this life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And we have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. And here we begin to find an answer to what happened on Mount Tabor and why. Jesus of Nazareth is both true man and true God. And as true God, he is light from light. But this light is not the created radiance of the stars which fills the cosmos. No, the light of the stars was created by the Father's eternal word when he made all things from nothing beginning with, let there be light. The light of Christ, rather, the light which shone out from inside the Lord Jesus, is the uncreated radiance of God's eternal glory. And in their brief moment on Mount Tabor, Peter, James, and John were given a glimpse of that glory to prepare them for the scandal of the cross, which was then close at hand. Tabor light reveals that the Son of Mary is also God the Son, and the dominion revealed in Christ at his transfiguration is the same glory described as belonging to the Son of Man by the prophet Daniel in today's first lesson, and then recalled by St. Peter in our second lesson, 
from his own experience on the holy mountain. Now those of us who believe all these things to be true can build or at least try to build our lives on the knowledge of God which comes from saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But many people, including many of the baptized, do not make decisions for the shaping of their lives based on divine revelation. Those who choose a path other than the way of the cross may or may not be atheists, but they live their lives as though God does not exist, or even if he does, as though his existence does not matter to them or touch them personally or factor into the decisions they make about their lives. So the question which should puzzle us is this, why do so many people live in darkness rather than come to the light of Christ? The Lord Jesus himself gives us one answer to that question in chapter 3 of John's Gospel. Christ said, the light came into the world, but people preferred darkness to light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come toward the light so that his works might not be exposed. So, willful wickedness is one reason why many people will not accept Christ and live in his light. But there are also other reasons. One of them is a reason that is far more common while being harder to detect, understand, and overcome. That reason is among the most widespread and debilitating spiritual sicknesses in the world. And while you have almost certainly experienced it yourself, you have also probably never heard it called by its proper name, acedia. That is A-C-E-D-I-A. This strange English word acedia comes to us through Latin acadia, from the Greek, Acadia, and it means without concern or care. A good modern rendering of acedia might be the infamous adolescent shrug, whatever. But acedia is not just a bad attitude. It is rather one part of the deadly sin of sloth. Imagine if when Moses and Elijah appeared on Tabor, Peter and the others had not rejoiced, but instead rolled their eyes and said, now we have two more to feed and house. Acedia is a spiritual laziness which can kill the life of grace, and it manifests itself in several forms, including boredom, apathy, restlessness, ennui, torpor, lethargy, indifference, and negligence about the things of God. In some respects, acedia can seem like clinical depression, but it is fundamentally different from depression in that it is neither a biochemical disorder nor a mental illness. In other words, acedia is a moral problem, not a medical difficulty. Acedia is the worldly sadness that comes from desiring to do a good thing, but being unwilling to do it because that thing is difficult and requires discipline, effort, and sacrifice. Acedia also comes from our own unrepented sins. 
and it is the opening for what monastic tradition calls the noonday devil, meaning the temptation to neglect one's duties and the worldly sorrow which follows from that neglect. The Church's spiritual masters in every age have warned us about the clear and present dangers of acedia, because once acedia takes root in the soul, rousing that person to follow Christ in the way of the cross can require heroic effort. The best remedies for acedia include reading Holy Scripture, tears of contrition for one's sins, deep prayer centered on Christ, and vigorous effort to surrender oneself to God in the obedience of faith. But this in turn requires us to contradict our own inner voice of cynicism, which leads us to doubt the word of God in Holy Scripture, especially when it asks things of us that we would rather not do. We must also meditate on the inevitability of our own death and persevere in the struggle to live in fidelity to the gospel, especially when we flag or fail because of the weight of acedia. And the place where all of these means of resistance come together is in the confessional. So if you want to fight acedia, go to confession. But how can I know if I have acedia? Well, if prayer leaves me cold, if worship does not move my soul, if the commandments seem to be only a restriction of my freedom, if I do not hunger for the bread of life, if I resent the church and avoid prayer, if the praise of God does not lift up my heart, if the word of God does not illuminate my mind, or if there is no savor for me in the things of God, then I am almost certainly suffering from acedia and will eventually be filled with a world weariness that expresses itself in cynicism and irony about even the most sacred things. Sacred things like the love of husband and wife, the bond of parent and child, the duty to love one's neighbor, the sacraments of, as means of grace, and above all, the real and deep human need to worship the living God and live for the praise of his glory. Friends, our lives are not random, our existence is not without purpose, and we do not find our happiness in the indulgence of our own pleasures. But to someone sunk in acedia, all of those things will appear to be true. And a soul lost in such acedia will eventually approach darkness and despair, unless called back to the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And that means that we must live in adoration of him who is light from light. On the Mount of Christ's Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John were at first delighted to see Moses and Elijah speaking with their master, and they wanted to linger in that moment. But then when the veil of Christ's humanity was drawn back just for an instant, to reveal the glory and majesty of his divine nature, the apostles were filled with fear and cast themselves on the ground. Only when the Lord Jesus touched them with love and commanded them, rise and be not afraid, did the apostles come back to themselves. 
And even then he taught them that they must wait until after his resurrection to speak to others of this mystery. Thus we learn that true religion is not found either in delight or in fear, but in loving fidelity to the divinely revealed word of God in all three of its senses, the eternal word who is God the Son, the incarnate word who is Christ the Lord, and the written word which is Holy Scripture. Forms of worship which are designed to stimulate our emotions may have a temporary uplifting effect. And doctrines meant to frighten us into changing our behavior may sometimes postpone selfishness. But neither of those paths is the genuine way of the cross in which we are truly changed by grace through faith, hope, and love to believe the word of God and live the life of the new creation. By the grace of God given to us in word and sacrament, we can walk with Christ in the way of the cross and avoid the sin of Asedia if we heed the teaching of St. Peter. Remembering that bright day on Mount Tabor and the gift of divine revelation in the glory cloud, Peter wrote that we ourselves heard this voice coming from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. Moreover, we possess the prophetic message that is altogether reliable. You will do well to be attentive to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Friends, the remedy for our acedia and for all our sins is for us to love and obey him who is the light of the world the divine teacher and redeemer, the incarnate word of God who is love, the origin and guide of the law and the prophets, the crucified and risen savior of the world who alone is the way, the truth, and the life, the Lord, Jesus Christ,